LA for episode 100 yeah, in the studio. There you yeah, go. Right. right? <laughs> Speaking of conferences, right. have you ever heard of the uh, North American Act of Assailant Conference? North American Active what? <laughs> right? It's the NAAAC, so the North American Active Assailant Conference. No. Okay, you need to look into it, because yesterday we just got final word that we are given a in-front-door booth for the conference. And what it is is that they invite uh, law enforcement, military, EMS of all backgrounds throughout the country and worldwide, and uh, they talk about the current active assailant issues. Um, yeah. So, for example, Randy you can pitch in. He, we've, we've talked about it. We've gone past five years, four years. Um, phenomenal conference, but they bring in like the Aurora shooting victims, and they could talk about what they what they experienced, um, how the fire departments at that situation handled it. They even talked about the do- like the doctor from Vegas at a small Vegas hospital. Yeah. He got hundreds of people at one time. Wow. And he talked yeah. about how he Crazy. managed it all. And it's, it's just mind-blowing. Obviously, it's very confidential. They can't broadcast it because they want the speakers and audience members to be able to have this confidence in each other to say whatever we want. So it's yeah. it's not open to the public. It's only only um, service members and whatnot. Um, yeah. But we, we're invited, and if that's ever something you want to consider being part of, uh, it's in October. So I would love to talk to... Uh, um, Jim Etson, who is the uh, coordinator for it, and see about getting you a spot if you're ever interested. Yeah, give me the dates, and then I'll and and the location. Where where is it? Uh, it's in Troy, Michigan. Um, okay. How far is Troy from Detroit? Would you say twenty minutes? Twenty minutes, so not too far from Detroit. Okay. Um, but like I said, it's 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 a great conference that we've partaken in, and uh, definitely something that Randy and I try to go usually. And I know last year was canceled because of the COVID. Very humbling. Yeah, it's very humbling, absolutely. But it's you know, legal. You know the, oh, go ahead. Do you know what the dates are offhand? Yeah, I could tell you. I could tell you right now. 14th. Stand by. Is it fourteenth? Ooh, look at this guy. We were just looking at it earlier. Where yeah? I think it's fourteenth. I think it's just a one day thing now. Uh, let's double check. I'll look. I'll look it up online, and then if I if I uh, think I can do that, I'll I'll reach out to you. Sure. You know? No, let us know. I'll talk to uh, Jim Etson again. He's a coordinator for it, and I, I know he would love to have you there. Hell yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, we would we would even take you as our uh, our guest for the show. Um, to even you know give yourself a, a spotlight to to talk to these members because I know a lot of people there would would you know submerge themselves in your information too and your knowledge. Wow, well, appreciate that. All right, cool. Uh, I got it written. I'll let you know. Sounds great. So, welcome back within Thin Lines. Um, here is our episode two for series four in leadership. All right, and just what we did was record our episode one where we talked about current events. Now we're going to talk about the situational. What would you do? Kind of things. Uh, so, just again on my left is Randall Ives, Tyler Frank. He's still in the way somewhere from Michigan. You know how he loves to hunt and fish, so he probably pulled over and grabbed a fishing pole. Um, and then Mr. Nifel, Tom got distracted. What's that? He got distracted. He got distracted, right? Um, on virtual end, we have uh, Rick Curtis, who is a PhD, has a PhD in leadership, and does a lot of seminars and uh, conferences about leadership. And it was a uh, great attribute to have here. And again, I, I kind of skipped over uh, Tom here, but he is my uh, unit command. Um, honor to be serving underneath him. But here is our educational skit. We're going to talk about some scenario-based conversations, and we want to hear more about what you would do as our guests. 
as Randy's pulling up some of that information together, I'm going to have one more caveat to that mad minute, right? Something I really wanted to ask that has a you know relevance to our, our series here. But, Tom, let's start with you. What is your inspirational leader? Like who do you, who are you inspired by in leadership? You know, I just recently read uh, General Jim Mattis's book, and just going through those chapters, especially as a military leader, I was just floored with how well respected he is by the men and women he led in his career, both in the military and uh, within the government. Um, you know, there's a reason the folks made a meme about him and how they just praise him endlessly. It's because he had the respect of almost, I would say, everybody that he served as a leader. So uh, he's definitely one of the top dogs that I aspire to, to be. You think we reach out to him and have him as a guest on the show? <laughs> you know, you already have the no. You might as well go for the yes. You never know, that's, right? That's Doesn't hurt. Salesman in me. Doesn't hurt the train. <laughs> I love it. And second question I wanted to ask Say you that was, one more time. Yeah, say one more time. You already have the no. You might as well go for the yes. I need a tattoo of that. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Uh, and then also, past, present, or future, who's somebody you would love to sit down and have a cigar with? I would love to sit down with Damon John of Shark Tank fame. Uh, he's the people's shark. And when we're talking about leaders and respected folks that are successful, um, he came from nothing, built his whole empire, and now all he does is help other people uh, get to their get to their top level, their success, and he just seems like somebody that would be down to earth no matter fame or fortune. I like it. Rick, what about yourself? So who's your greatest inspiration in leadership? Hey, so uh, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know a lot about their day-to-day leadership skills, but let me tell you why I'm going to give you a classification of guys here Ooh. because uh, because it's really about vision and pushing the envelope. And when nobody thinks you can do something, you push through and you do it anyway. And I don't want to, you know, I don't know how they are as leaders in their organizations, but guys like Bezos and, and Musk, Elon Musk, and these guys that are trying to hit space right now, I think it's phenomenal. The idea that, that, you can propel someone to Mars and, and wanting having that big of a vision. I mean, just, just think about the immense vision and the logistics behind that vision and being brazen enough to say that it's going to happen. And, uh, and so, wow, I don't know, like I said, I don't disclaimer, I don't know much about their leadership style on a day-to-day basis, but to set vision that high is inspirational to me because, you know, leadership is about problem solving well you got no greater long string of problems to solve than trying to put people on mars i'll just say that and then but in terms of leadership style and and now i'm going to go really old school and way before my generation but if i could sit down with someone and and really aspire uh and learn from their leadership would be winston churchill um i'm a student of history and man that dude just seemed to the number one brazen, like, okay, this is what we're doing, and you can you can pound sand if you don't like it, and uh, and we can get into all the pros and cons of that, but the 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 dude historically just achieved milestones. 
and so I'd love to I'd love to sit down uh, over you you guys said spirits I'm with my my glass of ice water here I don't, <laughs> I don't have spirits but uh, no that I'd love works to sit down with a glass of ice water with Winston Churchill always you got to hydrate right what's the military phrase hydrate or die you got to stay hydrated so I love it so that kind of goes to the next question who past present or future it would be Churchill right yeah that'd be that'd be that'd be cool yeah that'd be phenomenal I'd love to do that I like it what about you Randy. Ooh, you're thinking about it. Hmm. Has to come back to me. <laughs> we'll come back to you eventually. So we'll go back into the educational aspect. I know I've mentioned it before. We're going to talk about some scenario base. What would you do? Okay. So I'm going to kick off one, and I want you all, or you both, and you all, and the audience members to kind of play along with this scenario base and think about what you would do in this situation. So we're going to go from simple to maybe more complex in a stepwise fashion. So simple, okay? Let's say you are in charge of a fire company, okay? You are a captain on a fire engine. And your struggle as a leader is that you have an individual who doesn't really care for you. Okay? He doesn't really care for, yeah, you're wearing the shirt, but he doesn't really care for what you say. Right, he kind of he kind of challenges you. So, how do you handle an, an individual who is the uh, the typical yes man? You know, what's that phrase? Just just being a yes man, like you at they you ask them to do something, they just say yes, but they move on. You know, or they act like the sheep, where it's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna sure I'll get it done, but they disappear. Right? Yeah, I'll take this one first. Um, are we assuming that you've already had a couple one on one conversations with this uh, individual and things just don't seem to work out let's say you're starting off the scratch so you're just assigned to this engine now everybody else has already got their click together so you're new to the team but you are of rank okay so my first step i believe would be a one-on-one you know close the door conversation where you guys can talk freely try and understand each other a little bit i feel like communication is such a key skill to implement in any leadership role um Hopefully you can get to an understanding, establish each other's goals, and work towards you know mutual benefit there. Um, assuming that does not go well, I feel like the next step would be to figure out who they respect within the company and try and communicate through them and see if they can influence a little bit. Um, obviously, you know peers tend to respect each other. A little bit more than, uh, you know, the big boss or the big honcho sometimes. So I would choose that as my secondary avenue of approach to try and communicate through their peer that they respect in order to get to where everyone's going. Because like I said in episode one, uh, it's a near impossible task to please everybody within the unit or the team. Um, So as a leader, you just got to realize, you know, I can't do that for everybody, but you can certainly try to uh, get to the end state uh, several different ways. I like that. That's perfectly said. What about you, Rick? Yeah, I agree. I agree with them. I I think communication is key. We didn't touch on that in the first hour, but uh, communication is so important. I I think, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the, the, I'm going to preface this before I give my answer because the there's this thing called the Johari window. You may or may not be familiar with it, but it's basically the quadrants of knowledge, how we 
what we know and what we perceive. And so there's things that you know that you know, right? So if you know firefighting, you know that you know firefighting. So you can lead out in comp- confidence. There's things you know you don't know. You don't know how to do brain surgery. So you would be negligent if you tried doing brain surgery because you know you don't know that. Then there's things that you don't know that you know. And, and so those are those things that surprise you. They pop out of nowhere. But the detrimental thing for a leader is what he doesn't know he doesn't know. The things that you don't know you don't know. And so if there's personality conflicts there, there's obviously something that you as the leader don't know that you need to know about that relationship. So um, I, like I said, I agree with everything he just said, but I, I the aspect, I, the the tact I would take in calling him in and communicating with him is say, hey, what what am I not seeing? What is it? What is it about our relationship here that I'm not understanding? Because I want to understand it. I'm here to serve and to make you the best firefighter that you can be. I want you to excel. I want you to be satisfied. But, but I'm obviously missing something. I, I'll, I'll take on that deficiency. I'll take on that fault. I I don't I don't see what's happening here. So help me understand that this is a safe place. And if if he can articulate that, great. That gives you some some footholds there. If he can't, then you, then it's a whole other issue. You need to progress more in, in a way that this may just be a personality conflict. He may just have his own issues that you need to try to work around. And then you employ all the stuff uh, that we already talked about. But um, you know, at, at the same time. Uh, leaders need to be afraid not to offload toxic people or people that are, but that's way down the line from here, but uh, to transfer them or, or, or just, you know, get rid of them somehow. I like that. And you kind of touch off the, the, the base of like toxicity, you know, cause everywhere we go and every, you know, kind of job we have, there's always going to be that little toxic trait, you know, and then mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure Tom, you kind of agree that those, what's the statement? Toxic cockpit. You know, the, the minute the minute the team does not work together, it becomes unsafe and you have to just abort mission. Correct. Right? Before the mission aborts us. Um, yeah. And that's it's, one of the things. <laughs> right? Hey, just trademark that phrase, though. Um, yeah. No, I, I think you said it perfectly, is that you have to have that, that knowledge and understanding just be able to approach the individual and pull him in in a nonchalant way. Whether you're, you're kind of influencing his peers to kind of delegate his his characteristics or his actions, or you pull him in and say, Hey, um, what's that state from uh, Seinfeld? Help me, help you, help me, help you. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, soup, <laughs> yeah. no soup for you. No soup for you or whatever it is, but you just got to be able to say, what, what do I need to do? Like, regardless at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not going to play rank, but I'm the guy wearing the shirt. And it's not that I'm demanding, um, respect for you. Cause obviously I'm new here. I'm new to the team. Um, but politically I was put in this position um, for a reason and it's that someone has to take charge of this crew so what can i do now that i'm here to earn your trust you know but at me yeah. what works for me is your actions you know it's going to take time it's like a relationship you got to have a relationship with your crew you gotta you know it's, you can't just jump in and then move fast and ask for marriage you know right off the hand you got to be like hey let's move slow let's watch some movies chill out you know and let's just work on the us you know what, what is it that makes us a team you know, it's not the same uniform because, yeah, regardless, one team, one fight. But what makes us the best team in, in the uh, community, so to speak? And uh, I know, Tom, you had mentioned that you talked you want to influence, influence the um, maybe the wiser member of the team that's been there for a while. Uh, for us, we call them barn bosses. 
You know, they're the individuals who, who've been there for a while, who know where every broom is, who, who know how to work the dishwasher, stuff like that. But they're also willing to share that wealth. You know, they're willing to, to partake in the new guy and uh, to take him under his wing to influence him. Because most of the time, it's not a guy of higher rank that can influence us to where we want to go. It's a guy that works side by side with us. And I'm not saying that people of rank don't work side by side, but unfortunately, there is that political divide. You know, regardless of where you go, you still have that. Your politics were dirty hands. You know, so I like how you how you guys both had answered that question. Randy, what would you say about that though? Oh, go ahead, Rick. Uh, I'm sorry. So you know, when you were talking, that nothing. Something that came to mind is, you know, there's this disparity, and it was mentioned in the first hour about knowledge versus you know skill set or knowledge versus actual um, uh, talent, and uh, and there's, there's this divide between, and, you know, I like the picture of the, you know, like the sergeant major or the chief master sergeant. Nobody's got more experience than that dude in the enlisted. He's the top of the enlisted class in the military. He's been around the block. He's got people under his command, his or her command. They know everything. And then some second lieutenant fresh out of college who outranks that master sergeant graduates gets appointed as the second lieutenant gets commissioned as their second lieutenant in rank they outrank the sergeant major however if that second lieutenant doesn't pull that sergeant major in and say man what can i learn from you uh there's going to be problems because some snot knows and i don't want to hey i don't want to disparage the second lieutenant he's done his four years of college he's learned uh, he's gone through officer school. That's awesome. That's amazing. That that describes my son-in-law. But uh, it's always intrigued me, that relationship. It's probably the most dynamic, conflicting one in all of the military, where a 24-year-old comes out as a second lieutenant and somehow ranks over a sergeant major who's, who's leather, man. The guy has been through it. And, and he knows more. So if that relationship doesn't happen right there, there's going to be problems. That's true. That's very true. Randy, what do you think? Kind of wonder why, why the military does that. Like why yeah, you, just the command structure needs. They just you know the command structure needs that education. So they they have to out the the enlisted. You know the commissioned officers just outrank the enlisted. But it's an interesting dynamic. But it but it works because. Because the second lieutenant that doesn't respect the sergeant major is gonna, or or the chief master sergeant is gonna is gonna learn real quick that uh, who's really calling the shots with the with the folks. But at the same time, you want to be the dumbest as a leader. I say this all the time. You want to be the dumbest guy in the room, but you got to be humble and know that you're the dumbest guy in the room because that's how you learn. If you surround yourself with people. If, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you surround yourself with people that know less than you all the time, you're never going to grow. And so I think by design, it's great because a second lieutenant learns really quick uh, that he just doesn't have all the answers. And to answer your question, uh, there's a lot of history behind that. If you look back to revolution and Civil War times, uh, back then it was the affluent, the ones that had money that were direct commissioned to be officers because they could fund resources for their troops so if you go back in history the folks with the money the folks that had education were given the officer titles and it's just gone down through the hundreds of years and i'll tell you it is awkward being a 20-something second lieutenant 
with folks that are E8, E9, or 20 years of experience oh, yeah. in the military that you're technically in charge of, yet you have to go with your hat in your hand and say, how do I do this? I just got out of college. Let me just piggyback off of yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the rank is given, the responsibility is given, but the respect is earned through uh, the humbleness, the ability to ask questions, and the ability to learn quickly from those on your team that know more than you. Exactly. That is phenomenal. That is very well said. I, I appreciate that. And when you're talking about the uh, the sergeant major, you know, and and or going places and having the experience, there was a picture I saw recently posted out on social media. I don't remember where I got it from, but uh, so it might have been like someone's TikTok that was shared on Facebook. That's a new thing that guys are doing or kids are doing nowadays, right? Um, not that I'm not a kid, but you know, it's one of those things that like it showed a a guy in or an army a soldier doing push-ups and it was like the comments were the future sergeant major of the army you know and then behind him is a guy crossing his arms with the drill sergeant hat on saying it's the nco drill sergeant who's leading them how to get there because he never gave up on the private to do more push-ups um so it's just one of those things yes structure takes a lot of part in the play of how we have leadership and it's important to have that structure and that foundation but the true foundation of our command should be Everybody who's influenced, you know, the NCOs, the privates, the, you know, the, the fresh boots that we have in the firehouse, you know, who just passed Academy. You know, I talked to my most recent podcast was that the two people I always look to the most when I enter a new firehouse is the barn boss, the guy who's willing to help out and knows a lot. And also the newest guy of the house because he just came through Academy. So he should know a lot more about the new fire science. You know, so it's, it's, I don't know, it's a dynamic, but it's, it's important to have that teamwork and uh, the better understanding that yes, rank's important, but put it away for every now and then and become like we talked about in the first episode, become personal with each and other. It's totally healthy. I mean, if every, every cop I know that has got 18 years on the job and he's got that cynicism, that uh, suspicion about everybody he comes in contact with, if they would take on mentoring the guys right out of the Academy, the young guys and, and, bring them on it might you know there's a win both ways the young the rookie gets the uh training and the information from a seasoned vet and the guy who's cynical and starts to see what he used to be when he first came on the job and maybe it softens him up a little bit that could be a win-win perfectly so question number two so i told you it's gonna get a little more complex as time gets long right so it gonna, never gets easier. It never gets easier. So here's here's the little piggyback and caveat to first question. So now it's not just one individual. It's the whole company. Okay? So in my experience, I've I've experienced a company who lost confidence of their command and there's a progress of them trying to kick not kick them out, but you nonetheless make that command step down to find somebody else because it's all about the recruitment of the people and the community that delegates who is in charge. So, But if the whole team says, hey, we don't trust this individual to take our command anymore, whether it's loss of interest or poor leadership or whatever it is. Um, so now, same scenario, you enter, you're, you're new to this firehouse, you're in charge of the engine, you've got the rank, you've got the time, Somebody out there, obviously the the company trusts you to do your job, but you walk into an organization and let's say it's been months and they still have no confidence in you. 
So yeah, yeah, I'll take this. All so, right. You, you, the a mark of a good leader is self awareness, and uh, you know, self awareness is not an easy thing. Emotional intelligence is not an easy thing to really understand how you come across to people, how you are perceived by people, how you serve other people. Um, you know, we talk a lot about IQ in this world, how smart you are, but EQ doesn't get talked about. Emotional intelligence doesn't get talked like it should in leadership circles. So number one, introspection is important. It, there's only two possibilities here. It's either a you're, you, you have some leadership skills that are seriously deficient and you really need to look at that. And that's where the introspection and, and emotional intelligence, self-awareness comes in. Either that or this is a mobbing situation, which does happen. You know, mobbing is a, is a form of, of mutiny, if you will, where, where certain people have ownership over something that they're unwilling to give up. And you, and a leader should be astute enough to recognize the difference between whether it's a him problem or it's a, it's a mobbing situation. Maybe these guys have been together for so many years. Maybe they really deeply love their previous captain or their chief. And, um, and so they're not going to give an inch to this new guy. They're going to run him out until they find whatever it is, whatever nirvana they're looking for. And so, um, mobbing gets into a whole different kind of, uh, thing where that, where, where the psychology of the, of the group, um, really has determined, and they may not even know it or be aware of it, but they've determined that nobody's going to fill the shoes of the, of the predecessor. And that's a, that's a dangerous situation um, for a leader. Yeah. So determining that would be key, uh, crucial, whether it's my own leadership skills or if this really is, if there's some deeper element here, um, I would try What would I do? First of all, I'd introspect, uh, make sure it's not me, get some outside counsel. Hey, look, this is what, you know, some of my contemporaries at another station or something. Could this be me? Or, or then ask some of the history of the station. What was the, what was the previous guy like? And, and how did he run, how did he run the ship? You know, and, and through that discovery process, hopefully you can put enough pieces together where you can take some appropriate next steps. Yeah, Rick, Rick nailed it. Um, there's a reason that the whole fire station is feeling the way they feel it's could be that the chief or the captain or whoever we're talking about he has or she has a leadership style that just doesn't work or uh you know they've been through a lot and they just don't mesh um so it depends on what type of leader is in that role number one if they're apathetic or they're just there for uh the title and the paycheck uh it's not a great scenario so you need to figure out how to administratively put them in a position where they don't uh, hurt the company, hurt the fire station. Or if the scenario is that the leader just hasn't clicked yet and they truly want to become part of the team, and I'm going to take that perspective, uh, I would reach out to my peers, those that are in the same position with other companies, and ask, have you seen this before? Uh, what are some things that you've done to connect with the team, um, try and get some peer-to-peer uh, techniques, and then also sit down with a group and, again, have a frank conversation. Uh, you know, everyone's an adult, a professional, which is uh, important to distinguish. We're all in a profession here. Um, and you should be able to have those honest conversations. Number one, tell the team, 
I want to succeed here and I want you to succeed here. So how do we make that happen and get some honest feedback? If the folks aren't willing to do that, you can do an anonymous survey or ask your leader uh, to get some feedback if they're not comfortable giving you the face-to-face feedback. But um, at some point, you're not wrong in realizing that this scenario is not the best situation and finding something that uh, you know fits better for you as a person, as the captain, uh, in order to help the current unit succeed with somebody else. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got to say to you both. That's that's perfect. Okay, yeah. Yes, that's my answer. Uh, okay, I take it. That that's perfect. Perfectly said. And to go in a little more depth, to go like over your conversation here, is there such thing as a open door policy? Like truly, open door policy. I believe you can write a policy on paper that says you have an open door policy. But it doesn't become a true open door policy until you've gained the respect from your subordinates where they truly trust you and know that it is a safe space and you do have their best interest at heart. So it can evolve into a true open door policy once you've earned the respect of your subordinates. So kind of like communism. It works yeah, well, you know, it works well <laughs> on paper. But. Oh. I, I know nothing. I know nothing of communism. That's something I might be able to read up on to have a alternate perspective. But uh, that's that's the only comment I have on that. It's tricky because you can't uh, open door. You can you can have the most genuine motive have have uh, secured the ability to disassociate um conversation with personal attack you could you can do you can do all the right things and have a completely perfect open door policy yet the suspicion on the other side will always prevent it from being a not fully open door policy because nobody can believe that you'd be uh, unbiased in in if they approached you in something they wanted so i think i think most leaders make the mistake of not leading out in that so what i mean is this i i I did it once in my first organization, and I I grew a lot. I I sent out a non uh, anonymous. Well, it was anonymous, but uh, I mean, they they knew it was me that was soliciting the thing. As your leader, tell me where you see my greatest strengths are. Tell me what my greatest deficiencies are. And it was anonymous from their end, but they're saying this is this is about me. And I'm, guys, I'm going to tell you, I I that that spun me into a funk for about three or four months that I was just like, I couldn't shake. I was like, because people were totally honest with me. Um, and they saw where I, you know, they, I seemingly I'm callous to certain things or I don't listen. I'm always looking over their shoulder when they're talking, I'm not making eye contact, you know, certain things like that. And I was like, what? Oh my goodness. But I realized that though my, though it, they didn't align with my intent, it was their perception and their perception needed to be dealt with, whether it was true or not. So, so that was a big wake up call for me, but it hurt. Um, and, but I learned something through that. And so if you're going to have an open door policy, I would recommend a leader lead in showing his own vulnerability so that his direct reports could then see that in him and feel like they can be vulnerable back. I'm so glad you brought that up, Rick, the vulnerability piece. And I feel like, uh, you know, the folks that are listening that 
are leaders or aspire to be leaders, you have to realize that no matter what position or title you have, we're dealing with people. It doesn't matter how comfortable the leader is with accepting or soliciting open feedback. If the team members are not comfortable with giving open feedback, it doesn't matter what the leader wants or thinks. You can't force people to all have the same uh, comfortability with different scenarios. So that's again, circles back to the uh, self-awareness of the leader and realizing how to take this feedback and implement it to get to where you need to go. People are very complicated and that's a tough thing to deal with sometimes as a leader. And it's a generational, there's a generational thing at play here too. So, I, so I'm Gen X, right? And, but with millennials, it's totally different. So uh, there's there's a real movement in leadership thought about authentic vulnerability. You'll hear hear that term a lot now. Uh, people want to see, especially millennials, they want to see authentic vulnerability in their leaders. Um, so Gen X, my generation, we wanted to see our leaders put together. We didn't want to see the cracks. We didn't want to see the flaws. We wanted to know that they had it all thought out, all worked out, and that they, they knew what was going on. And, and they were not, not infallible, but, you know, they had it put together. But that doesn't fly these days. People want people want to see their leaders imperfect and working through it. Not imperfect and stagnant, imperfect and working through it. They want to see that authentic vulnerability because it gives it inspires them to be better and learn as well. It's a totally it's a total generational thing. Us Gen Xers, we we didn't get it, but uh, but uh, you guys do. I mean, younger generations do. They they all accept the leader that has flaws. My generation wouldn't. We'd, we'd need me on the guy. <laughs> and that's a tough line to walk. I mean, do you show vulnerability enough where it erodes the confidence of your subordinates thinking that they have a weak leader now? Or do you just show them just enough where they realize you're a human being? It's really tough to walk exactly. that line sometimes. It is. Very much so. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, millennials, right? We're <laughs> we are very entitled individuals. So here's another caveat or another question scenario. Let's say you are well-founded in your command structure, so your team trusts you, right? Um, but now you've got a newer-aged individual who's new to the rank, but he's also being pushed by politics to take over your job. How do you handle a uh, command change or trade-off um, with an individual who ideally is stealing your job? Uh, I would, I wouldn't think that they're trying to steal your job if it's an administrative move. Oh, we are though. (laughs) Okay. Well, if he's trying to steal your job again, uh, the true leader has enough, uh, self-awareness and is humble enough to realize, uh, you can control the things you can and the things that you can't, you just accept, but give it your best shot. You know, it's, it's your job as a current leader to enable the incoming leader uh, to do the best that they can, and everyone's got a different style. So uh, I'm going to lay out, you know, these are the things that work for me. Uh, you can take it or leave it. If you need to ask questions about scenarios that come up in the future, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. I'm happy to give my feedback, but uh, empower the new individual to put their own spin on things and trust that they're going to do uh, what you did, hopefully, is what's in the best interest of the team. So there's a picture going around. I saw this earlier this morning on uh, social media as well. There's a, uh, I believe he's a retired firefighter who does hand drawings of like comics for fire departments and military too. 
Um, he talks about the scenarios and scenes that we we deal with, and he kind of makes it you know humorous. But there's one in particular where it shows a chief right at behind a desk, and then you show a new candidate who's holding a application. And the chief, like anybody else, when you go through an interview process, is what are your goals? What are your long term goals in this apartment? And uh, the chief immediately says, "Is that my badge?" Because the guy's already starting to pin the chief's badge on his chest, you know, because it says the millennials are driven to take over or quickly earn the higher dollar sign. It's all about money. It's all about how how can I make more money in this apartment? How can I be the the top dog? You know, so if, what if you do have an individual who comes onto your unit who says, hey, Tom, you know what? Yeah, my name is Vince. What's up? I'm going to take your job. You know, it's a... Uh this is a tough scenario. You, when it comes to advice and helping other folks be successful in your previous position, you can't force people to implement that advice you give. The best you can do is hope that they hear you and take what they need or want and integrate it with their tactics, techniques, procedures. Um, but you shouldn't take it personal if someone doesn't take your advice word for word and implement it because everyone's got their own style. Um, it, it comes down to the individual leader and their, I guess, mental health. I mean, it, it's going to eat you up if you think that someone's not taking your advice and that's a personal thing. I mean, you just can't put that on your shoulders. So uh, give it your best shot. You help someone succeed and you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. So what if I counter you and say, you know, your, your job as a leader is to like, uh, let me ask you first, what is your ultimate goal as a leader? Number one, to see the team succeed. And then number two, as we all know, you know, good things must end, uh, help the incoming person succeed and become better than I was. Okay. Um, Oh, go ahead, Rick. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, I, what you lay out is an actual dangerous precedent that that is happening uh, a lot and it is very tricky um the whole instant gratification thing is dangerous and it's it's why addicts are addicts and i think bringing a healthy perspective to in open communication to that individual and say man it it thrills me that you that you think you want to pin this badge on you but just remember you know, I, I'm here to help you get there. You know, it's not going to happen tomorrow. So you can put that badge back on my desk. Thank you very much. But but let me be an agent by which you get there. Now, there's another dynamic at play here, though, too. This current younger generation, like, let me use me, for example. So when I was coming up, I, I the leader that I put myself to shoulder to shoulder, different philosophy of leadership. Totally, I did not. I do not lead the same way he leads at all. Completely different. But that didn't matter to me. He was the leader, and I knew I could learn stuff from him, even though his methodologies were different. So I went shoulder to shoulder. That that doesn't happen as much anymore. The the younger generations they reject all previous leadership. They're going to create it on their own. They're going to build the plane while it's in flight. And that's a very dangerous situation. So I mean, if you're really astute enough of a leader you can set that upstart up for some non-devastating failures that kind of put his time perspective in 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 check 
Um, I think I think facilitating dramatic learning experiences is a method of leadership. I mean, I, I, I've got younger guys that I put them in scenarios that that I know they're going to fail because they're going to learn that way. And so uh, there's no easy answer to that question, because if someone's gunning for you and he's a rookie and he's gunning for the chief spot already, you don't want to kill the enthusiasm, but you need to give him a real honest dose of some failure so he gets it all in check. And you talked about on the other question uh, or the first question about like how to take the situation of a poor performance and you take them into their office. At what point do you make it a private conversation to a, a let's take this guy out to the draw hall, <laughs> make a example out of him in front of everybody else. Like what's that trade off thin line? Yeah, I, I think, I think a good leader is long suffering. Uh, a good leader goes far beyond what any reasonable person would expect him to go in the development of a secondary leader. Um, I think that that will too, I mean, too, as long as it's not absurd, I mean, you can go out to absurdity and then people that affects their respect of you as a leader. But I think a, a leader should always um, act slower when a leader should act quick and decisive where that, where that is expedient for an organization slow and decisive where it means the development of individuals. And so I, I think just taking a, a long suffering approach with that guy. And if he doesn't learn after that and you're having communication during the whole time, then bring it down hard. I mean, if the guy's not going to learn, you got to just step it up. It's just like with, with a kid, you know, you tell your kid, Hey, get off that, get off that branch. You're going to fall down one day and break your arm. Hey, get off that branch next weekend. Hey, get off that branch. Finally, you're like, let the kid fall. It they do barrel off. roll. Yeah, exactly. Stop, drop, and roll. Right. Yeah, I think there's a layer. There's, uh, you know, the leader has an individual tolerance for certain behaviors that they're comfortable with uh, accepting. And then there's also the organization that is willing to accept certain behaviors. And good leaders have the foresight to see when that behavior is going to become um, toxic or detrimental to the organization uh, layered with their personal uh, tolerance for certain behaviors. So if you're a decent leader, you can kind of see where this is going to go down the rabbit hole and nip it in the bud. And I think that's when you start implementing some of those hard and fast disciplinary actions. Um, but again, it comes with experience and seeing different scenarios and realizing, okay, uh, you know, he might have just had a bad day or she might have just had a bad day uh, versus this behavior is toxic and we need to do something about it right now so that both the new and up-and-coming leader learns from that example and hopefully becomes better uh, and it saves the organization from becoming hurt uh, almost uh, indefinitely from that behavior. So um, you lay yeah. those different tolerances. And absolutely, and be be absolutely assured that there are the proverbial wolves uh, in sheep's clothing. There are guys that are so toxic. They're few and far between. And the, the mistake a leader would make would be ju uh, jumping too quick, uh, determining that somebody is irreparable and toxic. Um, you don't want to jump too quickly in that. But make no mistake, there are people that just need to be removed. 
their their toxicity is not going to change, and the leader should be absolutely fearless and guiltless from transitioning that guy or firing that guy. I take a moment because Randy, as soon as you said that, he leaned up and uh, his eyes brightened up. Uh, even answering the first question, um, an individual level or you know, then even at the group level, um, you kind of got to read the room, almost like playing a little game of poker, see who what your where your cards are at, who you're playing against. Um, one of the big things I, I like is uh, mentoring mentorship because as a new EMT coming in. Um, I was totally that guy with like the Batman belt. I had all the shit on there, dude. Like, I, looked, I remember. <laughs> I looked stupid. There, I, no, it was just no reason for it. So what I really like to do is, is uh, even um, just as a coworker, um, so one of the senior guys now, unfortunately, ugh, that sounds terrible, um, is this mentor of these people. As a leader, um, I've tried several different methods with with new people. Um, I like being a little harsh sometimes. If if I read the person and I think that they'll take it in the right way, um, calling them out in front of the, in front of people, humbling them the f up, getting them to own themselves and realize very quickly that I don't know anything. Like obviously, I'm not going to let them hurt a patient or do anything to you know hurt them or others. Um, but sometimes that's the biggest gut check, and I, I found that if it's the right person that um, that can, that can be, that can make a career for someone, you know, that can, you know, keep them involved. Uh, and you know, that hopefully that teaches them to teach somebody else that kind of a trip, a, a ripple effect, uh, if you will. Uh, sometimes also, then you gotta be real, real, you know, you gotta baby people and, um, that's, you know, up to you if you're going to make the time and put the effort into, um, mentoring these people. Um, but I think everybody deserves a, sh- a fair shake. Yeah, I think you hit on it great. Um, as a leader, we've got these tools, right? I can bring you in and have a closed-door conversation, or I can reprimand you in public, depending on what the room's reading and the risk-reward versus which tactic to use. Um, that's something that you learn with experience and also talking to others that have been around longer than you is what's going to be the most effective way to get the point across and get to the end results. Um, you know, if, if you're one of those leaders that is yelling all the time, people aren't going to receive that information the way you want them to. But if you're calm and generally, uh, you know, respectful most of the time, but that one time you do reprimand someone in public, people know that quickly they mean business. So yep. it's that balance of figuring out what to use and when to use it. Exactly right. And the one thing you can't do is sweep it under the rug. I'm sure there are, there are guys listening today, and if you're honest with yourself, you'll realize that maybe you've got a problem guy in your station or in your in your department or whatever, and you just you just keep kicking the can down the road thinking it's going to go away. Uh, two words for you: toxicity spreads. And so sweeping it under the rug does not do. You need to get on it. You need to take action. I laugh a little bit. Um... Amberly, my wife is here listening to the the show a little bit, and there's they talked about you know being calm and not being explosive, not being the individual who yells. You know, in my parenting skills with my kid, um, we had a little situation a year ago, two years ago, where we she learned how to slam doors. You know, and then my parenting skill, I guess, is just I 
was adopted from well not adopted but i adopted this parenting skill from my father <laughs> who uh who he's very quiet and the minute he ever raised his voice you knew you were in trouble but it seldomly happened um but his actions he kind of parented through his actions so what i did when i heard my daughter slam the door again is i went up there and just kind of walked in it's like hey how's it going riley and she's like kind of you know timid in her bed think i'm gonna yell and i got a screwdriver and i start taking down the door you know what i mean it's one of those things you got to just take care of the action um but i almost took it as you know my my lesson to her was if you're gonna learn how to slam doors or you think it's okay then we're not gonna have doors you know i'm just gonna take the door Fair away problem. it's an it's a it's not a it's not an entitlement it's a privilege kind of thing um but to me those actions are what defines correct you know correction <laughs> it could be in a unit or it could be in a firehouse or whatnot it's i take responsibility because i gave you a door you you slammed the door because i gave you that door in the first place so i'm gonna take it away so it's the disappointed dad right you're not mad i'm just <laughs> i'm not mad i'm just a little disappointed <laughs> and it worked you never got a slam door again and we do hear slamming door she yells out she's like i didn't mean to do it you know what i mean so she uh she, i don't know that's riley for you well, great. All and, of these points, all of these points that we've been talking about, they really all come back to the need for the leader to be a frequent and clear communicator. Uh, you know, the the in, in silence, speculation runs rampant, right? If the leader's not speaking, people are going to feel free to assume anything, do anything, act any way that they want, communicate frequently and concisely as, as you know i i use with my guys I, I use like the you know the timeout sign where you make a t with your hand i said if, if if your guys cannot communicate up to you it's gonna hit top and it's gonna go lateral to everybody else and that makes a t sign i said you know if you've got murmuring in your organization if you've got people talking about you as a leader it's clear because that communication that can't go vertical goes horizontal and uh, so you need to open up and, and really hone your communication skills.